Before we get into today's episode, we would like to warn our listeners that we will be discussing the ins and outs of eating disorders. If you feel like this specific content may trigger you, please either proceed with caution or feel free to find another episode to listen to. As always, thank you so much for supporting us. Welcome to episode 13 of Unsween and Unfiltered. On today's episode, we're kind of taking it back to Ramadan, but we're looking at it through a different kind of lens, and I think it's a point of view that not everyone is conscious of or aware of. And I'll be the first to admit, I really didn't even think about this topic or anything like that in regards to our community until like we... We're on the, online and we came across Stumbled the article. Upon it, yeah. Yeah. And today's speaker and today's guest is going to be Adeline Hossein. She's actually an Algerian writer currently living in Oakland, California. And her work has appeared in Teen Vogue. And that's where we found her article initially. She's also appeared on the Yahoo Network. And she's been featured on platforms such as Al Jazeera, Public Radio International, NPR. And in addition to her writing, which might I add, her writing is amazing. Amazing. You guys, Please read her writing. It's the way she words things. And just like you said, Zaina, she lets you see things from a different lens. Um, she also works at the Levi's headquarters, um, leading all things SEO. Amazing. So, yeah. She does a lot um, and she's been through a lot. And she talks about her experience of coming here to America at the age of five and leaving the comfort of her home country to come to America where it's not always inviting and, and super you know, it doesn't welcome you with open arms a lot of the time. And that's hard for anyone to go through, especially at five years old. Absolutely. So she's like literally going to take us through the different stages of her eating disorder. And just like you said, she came, she immigrated from Algeria to the States. She didn't even speak English. I don't yeah. want to give away too much because obviously we definitely go into this, everything in um, in the episode and whatnot. But I just want everybody to keep an open mind. I want everybody to just you know, be more supportive towards the people in our community and you don't know what everybody's going through. And for her even truly, yeah, like sometimes eating disorder is a physical ailment and you could, you think you can tell if somebody has an eating disorder. A lot we of kind of say you, you No, yeah. you can't. And we want to like really heavily talk about that. You can't judge somebody on their body and assume you know what right. they're eating or what they're going through. So this is definitely a topic, a very heavy topic. It's extremely heavy, but I also think it's a topic that we need to be more open and, and talk about more because so many people are going through this. And I think a lot of people are going through things that she, she went through and things that she'll describe later in the episode, but don't label it as an eating disorder. Um, we see a lot of girls constantly diet, dieting, constantly just, you know, you're pleasing everybody. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think that if they knew how to get help and where to get help and how to acknowledge it as something that's beyond their control, then they'd get the help they need. And yeah. we, it's just, we don't talk about it. We don't. And I mean, this is the purpose of the podcast mm -hmm. to just bring these unconventional topics to make people not be so uncomfortable talking about them. So we hope you take away a lot from this episode. Um, we also share how you can connect with Adeline at the end. Make sure you stick around for our unfiltered afterthoughts because we definitely have a lot more to say and we definitely like to digest and really look back and talk about what we learned from this episode as well. So you want to dive in, Zaina? Let's do it. So I think it's interesting because Adeline actually immigrated from Algeria at the age. What age was it, Adeline? 
I was five. Five years old. And you and I, Zaina, were born here in the States, but we all have that common feeling of we felt like a foreigner. Oh, yeah. You always feel like an outsider, even if you're born in the States. Yeah. Tell us, Adeline, about that, because, I mean, I think we all share the same experience when it came to kindergarten, and we don't match those blonde like blonde hair, blue-eyed girls in our classes. Yeah. Um, it was difficult. Uh, we moved when I was five, um, me and my younger brother, and we initially moved to a really small town in Illinois where like everyone that we went to school with was blonde haired and blue eyed and very, very pale and like had grown up in that suburb their entire lives and their families had as well. And when I moved, I also didn't speak any English. So I essentially went from living in a country where everyone was like me to being in this really small minded and like small town kind of place where everyone was completely different. And I also couldn't even communicate with them. So I think that just added like another layer to like how alienated I felt when I first came here. That's yeah, because you know, when we were little kids can be so mean. And it's interesting that you say that because like when I was little, like my dad was always working. So my mom was the one that would do my like the homework with me and everything. And of course, my mom's first language is Arabi, Arabic, and she didn't speak English that well. So when I went to school and the teacher was pointing at a picture of a cat, this is always a funny story. I said Bissa instead of cat. She had to hold like an actual parent teacher conference with my parents. I knew English, but for me I thought why doesn't she know Arabic? What's wrong with her? Yeah. Like, how do you not? I When you're a child, you think like they should know the same thing as me. So you were probably distraught. Like, again, you said you came from your country where you knew everybody, everybody knew you, you felt comfortable until like you came here to the States. And that just added probably to your anxiety. Like you felt completely alone. Yeah, definitely. And to your point, kids can be really mean. And so for the people in my class, I don't think they they understood that we were we were new entirely like to the town to the school to the state to the country and so i don't think there was empathy to like how we might be struggling especially me being like in school for the first time in my life and not even being able to like communicate or to make friends or express myself in any way so it was yeah it was definitely very difficult <laughs> Kids can be mean. We said that already, but kids yeah. can be so mean. Like I just remember my experiences, especially in like elementary and middle school. Was there a pressure from you to sort of fit in and and comply by what they thought was normal? Yeah, definitely. Um, I had a couple of really negative experiences where it was made very clear to me that unless I started speaking English soon, things were not going to get better for me. So I became very, very stubborn. I entered ESL and English became the only thing I would, I was willing to speak. So in addition to like studying in school and like learning English in, in my classes, I would go home and like refuse to speak anything else with my parents. And so my mother to this day is still fluent in now English, but also Arabic, French and Berber. So she speaks four languages. And she would try to speak all these languages at home and I just completely shut it out because I didn't want to have any like trait that could be considered like other within like my peer group. So yeah, there was definitely the pressure. Nowadays, it's like 
looked up upon if you speak more than one language and it's like it's so kid, different it's, yeah yeah it's so we different. live in a different world you guys because I feel you Adeline because when I was younger even something as stupid as like rebelling against my parents and wanting to wear short shorts as long as I can like up until like middle <laughs> school which is yeah. kind of weird but I wanted to fit in with those girls but for you you kind of wanted to lose as much of your identity as possible to assimilate just to feel wanted because you knew your family it's kind of the psychological thing you know your family's going to always love you and always accept you now it was time for these other people the others i don't want to see just white people because it could be your yeah. classroom is filled with other diverse people but it was other people that you wanted to so badly get their approval that you kind of like just want to lose who you were there was even a part in your article where you even said you kind of distanced yourself from your parents I think we've all been yeah. there we've all been there where we want to be just on our own like middle eastern parents are the most overprotective and I, I love that I appreciate that now as an adult but when it comes to American kids they kind of like just like go oh, go ahead they push you out and everything so you felt like you want to distance yourself from your parents too how how did that go <laughs> not well um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, obviously not well. And, you know, looking back on it now, that's one of the few things in my life I wish I could change because I'm now so proud of my parents and what they've been through and where we come from. And I like, I claim that a hundred percent, but yeah, I definitely would get very embarrassed if my parents came to my school. Um, a lot of the kids would ask questions about, you know, my parents having accents or why they, you know, I remember my parents actually opened a bakery for a short time when I was like in later elementary school. And I was so excited to take like the pastries to school and to share them with my classmates and, and tell them about this. And they were just so appalled that my parents weren't baking like chocolate chip cookies and that we were bringing like baklava and like, you know, like traditional pastries over <laughs> to them. Yeah. They, like they didn't, they didn't want to like participate in that. And so you know, every time I kind of tried to make an effort to share like my culture with the people I was around, it was kind of made clear to me that they didn't want any part in that. And so that kind of made me reject it more and more for a very long That's time. That's so sad. That is. Like, especially at that young of an age, being having people tell you like, you're not good enough, you're different. So you could just stick with your Arabic or your Middle Eastern desserts and we'll stick with our chocolate chip cookies and they don't clash. It's hard. And it's not like, okay, like Adeline, you grew up in a small town where there was probably not that many Muslim people, right? No. And I can't, I can't remember there being any Muslim people in any of my classes until I probably got until like the fourth or fifth grade. And then I remember there were like two girls in my school that I for sure remember like were Muslim. Other than that though, I don't, I don't recall there being like a real community within those schools that I was going to. So you were absolutely alone. Yes. <laughs> when I was in my classroom, I was not alone. But at the same time, the struggle that you're facing, the struggle I was facing, every like Muslim student in that classroom was facing it too. So it's not like we kind of stuck together. We kind of felt like we were on our own and whoever's going to get accepted first by these other people, who's going to be the one that's less foreign, who's going to be part of the cool crowd, the popular crowd. So we never, it's like interesting because small town or not, it was still the same experience. I felt like I felt alone. I didn't feel like I was close to my other peers that were Muslim or brown or South Asian or what, what now or Middle Eastern. It, we all were still on our own. It was kind of like a race. And yeah. that's, that's really sad to experience. I really, like, I mean, I I don't know if children still experience that nowadays. I feel, I feel like, like they do. More it may yeah. not be as severe, but I do feel like kids are still feeling left out and feeling outsiders. 
do you think this experience of being pushed aside, never accepted, was the beginning of your eating disorder? Yeah, I think it definitely played a large role in it. Um, the first time I fainted, I was, I remember I was in the second grade and I think I had been invited to my first sleepover that night by a group of like the white girls that I really, really wanted to be friends with. And my mom finally said, yes, I grew up in a very strict household. And that was the first time it was ever even considered to let me like go stay at someone else's house. And I was super nervous. And so because I was nervous, I didn't have an appetite. I didn't eat all day. And then I fainted and I ended up having to go home (laughs) instead of having to go to the sleepover. And I think like after that experience, after that like feeling, I don't know what it was, but it started to happen more and more that like increased anxiety, loss of appetite, not eating, not making time to eat, forgetting to eat. And then eventually that turned into intentionally not eating. And so I think for me, it was a control thing. I think that one of the few things I could control was my body and what I chose to put into it or not to put into it. And so for me, that was kind of, you know, the kind of disturbing way that I was able to find some comfort in like the day-to-day stress that I was feeling was being able to only have control over myself because I couldn't control what anyone around me felt towards me or how they treated me. So this was accidental at first. It was just out of nervousness because it's the first time yeah. you're sleeping over and whatnot. I mean, I've never had to sleep over my like lifetime because my parents were just as strict. But yeah, so it was accidental that you were just nervous you didn't eat. And then, wow, so it just manifested. It became something that you decided to take on. And it's kind of like, do you feel like, yeah, while you're trying to assimilate, you kind of hurt yourself in the process? but you lost control. So, okay, this kind of, you you said you're in control, but it kind of seems like you lost control of who you are when you think about yeah. it. What, do you agree or no? Yeah, that's an, that's an interesting point. I don't know if it's maybe the sense of having lost control coming here and being in a situation that wasn't within my own control and then this manifesting as a way to like reclaim back some of that control. Yeah, for me, it's just like one big circle of like things going wrong and then trying to fix them through things that ultimately just continue to go wrong. And so it's kind of like a vicious cycle. So when did you realize that this was an issue if you did? Or when did you become aware of like, okay, I know that I'm not eating, but I'm still going to skip lunch? Yeah. So the first time second grade being, I would like to believe an accident because truly I know I was nervous that day. I was anxious that day. And so I don't think I set out to do any harm to myself. Um, but by the time I was in the fourth grade, it was definitely something that had already become recurring. Like my parents were picking me up early from school far too often. Um, and they were kind of shrugging it off as, you know, me being like a weak child or like my immune system not being so strong and like me just needing extra care and attention. But by the time I was in the fourth grade, I remember wanting to fast. Like for the first time I was interested in fasting because I knew this is the time of the year where everyone is not eating. And so no one is going to notice if I'm not eating, if everyone else is doing it too. And so, yeah, I remember fasting for the first time. And through that, obviously, there's also the feasting. (laughs) So I think that's kind of the part that I wasn't as prepared for was the fact that, okay, after a full day of not eating, now you have to eat a lot of food. And so I feel like that then manifested into bulimia for me, which became yet another level of this eating disorder that I personally struggle with. And 
and it just like continued to to kind of worsen and the struggle continued to become more difficult I think so bulimia I don't want to get into too much detail because again I don't want to trigger anybody or anything bulimia is when you do eat a bunch of food and then and you, you kind of just like yeah okay yeah. just yeah sense, just if anybody doesn't know what bulimia I is I feel like yeah we go through Ramadan not realizing that there are people out there who are going through situations like this and are experiencing eating disorders and, and navigating life through that and it's not something that we kind of are aware of no as the Muslim community we're not paying attention to people with eating disorders at this time we talk about mental health. Okay, this is the thing. This is how I feel about it. Like when it comes to um, opting out of Ramadan, I feel like a lot of people think that you would have to have a physical ailment. You have to, or maybe you have diabetes or maybe you have cancer and you have to take certain medications or whatnot. And I think we are aware of people that have mental health issues should not fast. But guess what? I don't think, I, I don't want to speak for every for everyone. This is me personally. This is what I used. I never even thought of eating this, uh, like somebody having an eating disorder because we don't talk about it too much in our community. So when someone says, if you have a mental health issue, you don't fast, I was like, okay, but people don't include um, eating disorder. People that have eating disorders as somebody that has a mental health issue. It's not under that umbrella. Absolutely. And Ramadan can be extremely triggering for someone with an eating disorder. Yeah, but it's promoting basically not eating from sunrise to sunset. What did you think about that? Like when it comes to because okay, you said you first used to like you 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 did do the fasting and everything like that, but it ended up actually being very detrimental to your health because you weren't doing it the right way. Yeah, I don't think I was used to that feeling of putting so much food in my body after not having any, and so for me that was very triggering, and it kind of led me to panic because I didn't like the weight of that within me. Like I didn't like the weight, the literal weight of this food within my body after spending the whole day not eating and it was uncomfortable. And so for me, that was how I discovered this way of relieving myself of that discomfort. And so I think it's like a two part thing. I think a lot of people still don't understand eating disorders as a mental health issue. I think a lot of people classify it as a physical issue because it manifests itself physically. And I also think that there's a lot of uh, maybe stigma around mental health issues and um, people just not understanding the full extent of the impacts because we don't talk about them. And so if you look like you're an able-bodied, healthy person, then you're going to be expected to fast. And so sometimes within the community, I feel like it's easy to pass judgment very quickly if you see someone not participating before you know, understanding if there is an underlying reason for that. You know, what's interesting too, that, yeah, we want our community to notice this, but Adeline, your own parents didn't even really know. They couldn't even pinpoint what's going on. So it even starts yeah. in the household of us being so uneducated. It's not even uneducated. It's also like oblivious. Yeah. It's ob not something that we think about. It's like, you know, maybe she's just not hungry today. Maybe she's nervous about something. I don't think it's the first thing that even our parents think about. Because we still, as a community, think we are, not our entire community, but it, some of us still believe that we're immune to these Western diseases, Western illnesses, and whatnot. But at the end of the day, before we're Muslim, we're human, mm -hmm. and this is going to happen. And so when it came to your parents, your parents kind of like didn't want to believe you had an eating disorder. They didn't even think about it. They just said that you're not eating enough, Adeline. Like, why aren't you eating? Or oh, she's just she's just a skinny child. She'll never gain weight. Like, I was kind of like that at one point. I was super skinny. I never had an eating disorder. I know I would eat, but I was just very, very frail, very skinny. 
And my parents just always brushed it off like, oh, she's just, that's it. That's just how her body is. Is that like how your parents kind of like treated it? Yeah. Um, I think for them, it was just easier to have an arsenal of excuses for why I might not be eating or for why I might be losing weight versus having a really uncomfortable, difficult conversation that is going to open up this box of like more work that needs to be done because it's not a one-time conversation either. Like this is something that you actively have to sign up to work on with someone. And I don't know that we were at a point as a family where any of us were really ready to do that. And I would try to hint at it. Um, my mother and I like became closer and closer the older I got. And so it was something that I kind of tried to bring up in subtle ways. And I don't think it resonated with her until she read this article and she, you know, read it and texted me and said, you know, I'm really proud of you for writing this. So Adeline yes. wrote an article for Teen Vogue. So before you kind of officially really came out to your parents, you kind of decided to come out publicly and you wrote this article. What made you decide like, Hollis, this is the right time. I need to open up about what I'm going through, but you did it in a public manner. Yeah. So I wrote a research paper in college um, about eating disorders, and a large part of that paper was me exploring my personal struggle, and then also um, like how it's treated within the Islamic community specifically, because that's been my personal experience. And so after I wrote that paper, it was something that I was thinking about more and more, and I wanted to write like a dedicated piece about this and publish it. But I was obviously very, very terrified about how it could be perceived. And so it wasn't until I was having a conversation with a Muslim coworker of mine. Um, and I just told her, you know, I'm thinking about writing again and I, I really want to publish something. And she said, well, what do you want to publish first? And I told her the idea for this piece. And she just looked at me and she was like, oh, yeah, that totally makes sense. And I was like, well, what do you mean? And she said, well, it's so common in our culture that people are struggling with that, especially during Ramadan. And that just completely shocked me because on the one hand, she was telling me that this is common. But on the other hand, I hadn't heard about it anywhere within my own community to make me feel like that was common. And so after that conversation, I kind of felt like I had a responsibility to put that out there because clearly people were struggling and just not feeling like they were in a safe space to like come forward with that information. So, so when you wrote that article, that's basically when your parents kind of now finally found out what you're really going through. You weren't just somebody that was just naturally skinny or anything like that. How did your parents perceive it? Like, how did they feel about it? Like, I mean, and did you explain to them that this is actually a mental health illness? This isn't something that I just wake up and decide to do because it's fun or anything like that. It's cause it's not. Yeah. Um, I shared the piece with my mom when it came out because I did feel like I wanted her to know this about me. I wanted her to know the truth. And so she read it and very like shocked by her reaction because you never know how a parent's going to react to information like that, especially about their own child. And especially because I put it out there willingly and that's not something that's common in our culture, but you know, she was very proud of me for writing it. She thought that it took courage to write it. And then she also told me that, she realized through reading my piece that she also struggled with an eating disorder throughout her life and just didn't know that there was a name for it 
or that there was a medical classification for something like this. She thought that, you know, she was a young woman who was having issues with her body and that it was totally normal and that anything that manifested as a way of her trying to control that was also totally normal. And she didn't realize that there are mental health issues associated with, with things like this. I think so often when we're growing up, we push our parents away because we think that they won't understand the struggles that we're going through. And I think if you would have had that conversation with your mom at an earlier age, you guys would have been able to bond on that and not even bond, but I don't want to say bond, but kind of like help each other through that struggle and, and kind of you know, navigate it a different way. And it's, we just don't reach out to our parents as often as we should. I think it's interesting because I feel like our, we think that there's this generational disconnect. Like our parents don't, like you said, they don't understand what we're going through, but you know what? Our parents probably went through more trauma than we did not to compare traumas, but they probably experienced some of the same traumas. But again, if it's still to this day, to this day, you guys, it's not, we're still not hundred percent comfortable talking about our mental health issues or any of our struggles. How about our parents where they, yeah, they didn't yeah, it wasn't existing yeah it was non-existent and if you did it, oh you have the gin inside of you there's something really wrong with you if you're thinking right. about starving like they take it to that extreme like there's absolutely something wrong with you you're a crazy person and whatnot so they had to really struggle in silence like and that's why i feel like we can relate more so to our parents than anything else than absolutely. anyone else but we yeah we don't have we don't open that door of com- like that line of communication because we assume these things and we, well, I mean, you did open up to her and she did tell you, like, I've actually kind of experienced this. How was the reaction from like the public? Because I know our community loves to have their opinions. You know, there's those supporters and then there's the ones that say, uh-uh, miss me with that. Because yeah. that does not that does not like imply that I won. You know what I mean? It's like it's kind of hard to come out with your own personal story because people assume that you're talking on behalf of all Muslims. So Adeline, this yeah. is your personal story. So how did people react to it? Yeah, so I think that's a good point because I chose to write a personal essay for a reason because I didn't want to speak on behalf of anyone other than myself and my very specific personal experience with this. And so, you know, the day that the piece went live was one of the most terrifying days of my life because I didn't know. I didn't know how anyone was going to react. I was so nervous about other Muslims being upset by it or offended by it. I will say that the overall response was overwhelmingly positive. I got a lot of, especially younger Muslim girls reaching out to me um, and telling me that that piece helped them and that, you know, they felt comforted by the idea that this was happening to someone else um, and that they weren't, you know, an outlier in feeling this. There was one singular negative response to the piece, though, um, that kind of struck me when I when I first got it. But a girl actually reached out and was just so incredibly upset by it. And, you know, she told me as a fellow Muslim who also struggles with an eating disorder, I am frankly offended by this piece because you are shifting the focus of Ramadan to mental health issues and not allowing this month to be about what it is meant to be about. And that was obviously like, very devastating to read because I didn't set out to upset anyone, let alone offend them. Um, So I apologize. And I just explained, you know, that as sorry as I was, I wrote this piece for my own peace of mind, as well as for others that might be struggling, who might be able to kind of relate to this and find some sort of like solace and comfort in it. 
Um, and at the same time, I made sure to speak only on my own experience and only on my own behalf. Um, and that if there wasn't anything in the article that she was able to relate to, that that was also totally okay for her to have a completely different experience being another Muslim with an eating disorder than what my experience was. Um, and then a year later, so in the last maybe six months or so, she actually reached out and apologized for her comments and told me that, you know, she, she'd spent time thinking about it and realized that my piece was never meant to speak about her experience, that it was only meant to speak about my experience and that part of her frustration when she read it was because our experiences were so different. But at the same time, like as Muslims, we are always so angry with like the media for representing us as a monolith. But then when we see each other like creating representation, we're still upholding each other to this like monolithic standard. And so I think like truthfully that comes from a lack of representation. If there was more representation of us, there would be more versions to like see ourselves in. But because there's so little out there, we kind of like pick on the few that there are because we want to see ourselves represented so badly. Adeline, that's Girl. something we talk about <laughs> so often. I would because, love to snap my fingers around because yeah. that was so good. Like, it's so true, though, because we have such a small representation. We often feel like if one person gets the chance to represent us in a way, that person must carry the weight of the 8 billion Muslims in the world. And that's so hard and that's to have that responsibility as one individual is it's it doesn't make any sense she made such a great point we're we attack the media when they say all oh, muslims yeah. or all this or that but then when one of us comes up and we want to we say do well, the same thing like yeah we do the same exact thing and it's it's close like we need to be able to express our own and this was like very special to you because i feel like this was more like your coming out article like you were like throwing you you literally just took that chance and you just threw it all out there and you want to see how the yeah. world reacts because you didn't i think you wanted in a way to get that support back you wanted support this is the reason why you wrote that article at the same time you want to help other people you also wanted support too for yourself to have people yeah. understand where you're coming from and like i know like so when second grade fourth grade you were dealing with um eating disorder but then it still continued up until your early 20s and it took on a different kind of it's like almost a it's like um a costume it wears a different costume in different stages of your life when i'm talking about your eating disorder so when you were in your 20s you said you started thinking that you were actually being healthy because you were working out so much and all that right. stuff. so how how did you view your eating disorder in your early 20s how was that like so in my early 20s i think that was a time when i was going through a lot of changes um and my eating disorder and specifically my bulimia had gotten to a point that even I was able to realize was like so far out of my control. Like I had completely lost control of it. Um, I was incredibly, incredibly unhealthy. And I was at a point where truthfully, I could confidently say to myself that if I were to die, it would probably be because of this, because it had gotten so dangerous. Um, so, you know, I didn't want to let myself slip any further. And so, and in, again, in an attempt as, you know, well-meaning as I was at the time to regain that control, I started eating really, really clean and working out a lot. And to me, those two things together meant that I was being very healthy, but I was literally at a point where I was working out like for two hours a day. I would wake up at like six to work out and then I would go work like 
at times a 15 hour day and then come home and work out for another hour. Um, I was restricting the foods that I would eat. So I would only eat like raw vegetables and like fruits and like some whole grains, but I was very, um, like restrictive in how I portioned out my meals. So everything was measured. It didn't matter if it was broccoli. It didn't matter if it was spinach, like everything was absolutely measured down to like a half cup, a cup, like a quarter cup. It didn't matter. And to me, that was, that was health. Like that was health and wellness. Like that was me at my absolute best. And looking back now, I realize that throughout my entire life, the way my eating disorder has manifested is at one extreme or the other. And that's not healthy on either end. Like you have to have a balance. You have to, to moderate. And so I think I have a better understanding of that now, but in my early twenties, that definitely was, was something I was putting myself through that I think now I realize never needed to happen. Like when you were younger, you felt like you said this, like when you're in the second grade and whatnot, you felt like you finally had something that you were in control of, which was your eating disorder. So I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, in your 20s, it felt like at this point in your life, it almost kind of controlled you now that you... Yeah, I would agree with that. It controlled you, it controlled your mind and you where it kind of tricked your mind into believing you're doing good things for your body, but you weren't. Like I was like that at one point... um, because there was a certain someone in my life at that point, and they were telling me, you look a little heavy, you should lose weight, do this, do that. And I was that girl at the gym, I was that girl that would take pictures of my meal prep. And I lost 20 pounds um, around that time in my life. And that's what I'm saying, everybody has their own eating disorder story. So to me, that to me was not an eating disorder. To me, I was like, I need to look perfect because this person said that I feel like I look heavy and whatnot and I should lose a little bit of weight. I just, oh my God, I took that and I ran with it. And I literally like, yeah. and when you, when I look back at those pictures, do you even have pictures, Adeline, where you look back and you're like, oh, like I could tell like that's, that was a rough patch in my life or this was the time where it was really controlling me because there was pictures of when I look back and I cringe and I cannot look at them and I've literally deleted all of them except for just one, I guess just to remind yourself where yeah. you were. It's it's weird. It really is. We need to stop using weight as like a compliment or an insult. Yes. Like we also like yes. how many times have you lost a few pounds and someone go like oh like you know and even if it's not deliberate like you lost a few t- pounds because you were sick with someone and someone will come up to you and say like you know oh my god you lost so much weight you look great that's not a compliment yeah yeah, yeah. especially for someone who's going through something like this and ex- is experiencing an eating disorder that's that's like adding to that oh my God, I look good. Now I have to keep doing what I was doing. And that's what it was for me. Yeah, it was exactly that. What about you, Adeline? What were you going to say? I totally agree with that. I think there's a lot of assumptions about what healthy looks like. And so, I mean, I see it all the time on the internet. I'll see someone who's, you know, incredibly thin with an extra large pizza and like a bottle of wine and everyone's just like applauding them. But if someone else posts like, a selfie, for example, and they're chubbier or they're on the heavier side, which is completely okay, there are people attacking them for their health. And you don't know like which of those people actually like has a healthy, balanced lifestyle. And it's like an assumption based purely on like what people look like and what your idea of health is based literally on like physical appearance. And yeah, I think that's a huge problem. And I think that it's really unsettling that people feel like empowered to comment on other people's bodies. It's probably a lot worse with the internet, but even outside of the internet, like people will to this day, like comment on the size of my body and say things like, 
you know, you're so small or you're so skinny or like I could snap your arms. You're like a twig. And it's like so uncomfortable because you can't in that moment tell this person like, listen, this comment is unnecessary and this is why. Like I don't always feel the need to share my personal story and history with people. So it's it's more so like a change that needs to happen on their end than on my end, I feel. Yeah, you're right. There's like a time and place for you to want to open up to everybody. And you're not going to just sit. I know you wrote an article to help others, but at the same time in your personal life, you don't have time to be sitting on a bus while a stranger is commenting that. And you're just going to go straight into your personal (laughs) story. You're not going to do that. And I, and I, I cannot stand when people make comments. I don't want to say compliments because they're all comments, honestly, comments about your way and and how you look physically to say, Oh, I could snap you. Okay. What did you get out of saying that? I don't understand. Cause you know, that's deliberately yeah you're deliberately hurting me like your comment is not adding any benefit whatsoever going back to what you were saying on like eating clean we see this a lot on social media on youtube people like documenting every step that they're eating every you know calorie that they're intaking how do you how do we know the difference between eating clean and there might be an issue or is it how do we differentiate? I don't think like, we can, none of us can no. even answer that because you just don't, because again, when it comes to social media, people are only showing snippets. So this person might be showing you their amazing salad, but like right. outside of yeah. social media, they might be like scarfing down a pizza or something yeah, super unhealthy. True. It's really hard. And I think what when it comes to us in our community, we just need to be open and supportive and whoever is dealing with something, they should just they, like, inshallah, we can be as supportive as possible where they feel comfortable to come and open up. That's what I think. That's yeah. Great yeah. Point. Because it's very hard to like answer that because you don't know what, pe- what people really are sharing. Everybody's lying. And going back to like, like social media. Oh my God. Photoshop. It's like the new craze. Everybody's, I'm sorry. It's so obvious. People are Photoshopping their waistlines and whatnot. And you could tell, and that's not okay because that means that person obviously has an issue with their body, but then you're also causing this domino effect of having little girls wow. or other girls look at you so and be true. like, I want that waist with that big butt and that like, no, it's mm-hmm. not. It's called Photoshop. It's not, it's, real. Not, it's not real. You cannot have a tiny waist and a big butt with like, you know what I mean? It's like, it's it's social media is very dangerous it, yeah but you you can um i guess you can filter out what you want to filter out but i want to take it back to ramadan now you're experiencing ramadan as an adult but you actually choose to opt out of ramadan not the entire ramadan because i want to make it clear that ramadan isn't just about fasting and i think we all know this so when it comes to people like adeline who have an eating disorder and who don't fast you cannot shame them because you're being hypocritical because we always say it's more than just fasting yeah I mean, I I made that active choice. I didn't ask anyone for their blessing or their permission because I was at a point where I knew what I needed. Um, and I'd gone through it enough times to know that it was absolutely triggering me every single time that I did it. And I didn't need to jeopardize my mental and physical health for that. I, I think there's obviously, as you said, still ways to participate. I think for me, it's like a month where I internalize and I reflect and I set intentions and I really work on myself beyond just the one aspect of Ramadan that is fasting. And so, yeah, I think that's super important for people to know that even if you're unable to fast, there are still ways to participate and there are still ways to to be included without having to jeopardize your health if that is what is at stake in order to fast. Did you ever feel like, like now you're at a great point in your life when it comes to Ramadan, but did you ever feel at one point that you had to disconnect with our faith at all? Because again, like you chose to like opt out of fasting. So were you kind of struggling with that? Yeah, I think so. 
For me, I've always struggled with my faith because I immigrated so young and because I rejected my culture so early. And that to me just makes me really sad because now, you know, I can't like communicate with my family overseas the way that I wish I could because I don't, I don't have that language anymore. Like I don't have the tools that I need to like really feel connected to my own culture and community. And so it was always something that I think I've struggled with from a very young age, probably since I got here, because for me, I've always been like on that line of like being Algerian and Berber and Muslim and then being American now, I suppose, because I'm here. And so people view me that way. Um, And I've also gotten like Americans thinking that I'm like too Muslim and then Muslims thinking that I'm like too American and like not knowing where to belong and all of that. So I definitely like struggled through my faith a little bit and kind of challenged like where there could potentially be a place for me. I think that with social media, that's gotten better because now I can connect with Muslims everywhere who are more like me, who have similar experiences, who maybe don't abide by every single rule, but are really doing their best and like are still believers. And so I think that that has really helped me like kind of reclaim that within my identity. But growing up and not having all of that to start was definitely a struggle and one that led me to kind of question my faith for a little bit. I think I've heard a lot of people say it's not haram to question your faith. I think it's encouraged to question. You're supposed to ask questions and you're supposed to not go against the grain, but show show me proof, show me what it is. Because explain to me, not just let me accept this and, and turn a blind eye to it. When you do question your when you do question something, you actually educate yourself, and I think our religion prides itself on yeah, getting the just educating yourself and learning more, and it's all about knowledge. That's what it's all about. Um, maybe this is personal, but when it comes to Ramadan, since you don't fast, like how do you part? How do you feel? How do you make yourself feel included in this month? Yeah, I pray. I I try to work mostly on like myself and the things that I think can get lost in the day to day. Um, I think it's like a month for me, it's a month to reset and to give to others and to be a far more giving and patient and kind person towards others. Um, I think I can get really caught up in like my daily life and I kind of forget that there are others in need. And so, yeah, I think there's, there's ways to, to participate without necessarily having to do the one thing that is harmful to me, you know? And I'm sure it's hard from outsiders who may not understand your perspective of opting out of the fasting portion of Ramadan. Yeah. Um, and is it hard to just hear those comments or are you over it? Are you kind of like, let me focus on myself and my own mental health and you focus on your, you know, fasting from sunrise to sunset? I think I'm over it. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's yeah. good. <laughs> I, think, I think I'm at a point in an age now where I just have such a better understanding of what I need and I know how to prioritize that now. My mom and I actually went back home, I think last year during Ramadan and, you know, we were traveling. So I wasn't fasting for my own reasons, but she wasn't fasting because she was traveling and we went to a bakery and I remember we were sitting and waiting for what we ordered and she took a bite out of something and the woman in the shop just like completely lost it and was just, you know, very passively aggressively like, Oh, so I guess we don't, I guess we don't fast now. And my mom just looked at her and was like, I'm, I'm traveling and I'm going to make the days back. Like you don't even like, she was just so upset because she's like, this woman doesn't even know me. 
And because I choose to take a bite of something at this shop because we're traveling, like she has her own judgments. And so I think I've kind of just realized that like the people that are going to pass judgments are going to pass judgments regardless of whether or not you fast, regardless of what rules you, you supposedly break or don't break. Like that's not within my control. So I think I'm just at a point now where I just really try not to let those comments get to me because they're going to happen regardless. Even if you're like a quote unquote, like perfect, good Muslim, someone somewhere is going to have something to say. I think we take the term guiding somebody or the, yeah, like when someone says like in the Quran, you're supposed to guide. I think we take it out of context and I think we're too really aggressive. I don't even know about the passive aggressive Adeline, but I think our community <laughs> sometimes aggressive. straight up aggressive, <laughs> just aggressive, straight up, like right underneath your comments, they'll say what they want and they'll say, you're not a good enough Muslim. And here's why a, B and C it's like, no, thank you. I didn't ask for your opinion. I think people need to really like take it back and understand that our religion is a connection between us and God. Exactly. Not the way we treat his creations is what brings us closer to him, but we're not meant to like, abide by the rules of his creations it's more so just him and i think it's super important that we definitely understand that just leave people alone and if you're not if you're not gonna help support them but you're gonna shame them that's so wrong honestly like you utilize that energy that energy that you're using to shame somebody and make them feel less than you use that to educate yourself absolutely like keep that same energy when it comes to actually educating yourself and learning about the different and our community is so diverse when it comes to mental health when it comes to backgrounds and when it comes to how we even practice our faith we got to be more accepting yeah and stop seeking validation from people because all that matters is that connection between you and god and your in your relationship with the religion and that's all that matters really Having a mental health issue is not a curse. No. I don't know how many times we have to say that. It's not a curse. It's not because you're misguided. It's not because you have no connection to Allah. It's not because Allah like hates you or any of that. Look, don't you feel that way when people make it seem like, oh, well, maybe you can solve it this way. Have you ever gotten those type of like remarks? All the time. Like maybe you should just eat. Like, yeah, that sounds I, like, I that think sounds I, it was that simple. I've, I've never, I've thought, never of thought of that. Like that's such a good idea. Like maybe I will just eat. Yeah, I get well, not so much now. I think people are a little more aware, but I definitely used to get just really like kind of ignorant comments. I don't even think people were intending to be hurtful. I just really think there was such a lack of understanding. So yeah, I've, I've definitely gotten that, but it is what it is. You just have to keep moving forward and trying to educate people. People will always have an opinion on whatever that you do in your life. And I just think that we need to really think about the fact that you're not perfect and I know this sounds cliche but really focus on yourself focus on how you can be a better human being instead of like watching somebody's every move and telling them they're doing something wrong it's crazy because these people think that they're getting good hasanat and good deeds by it's guiding somebody so, but it's actually no. the reverse effect you're getting a bad deed you're like really there's ways to go about it there really is I'm not saying you shouldn't guide your fellow Muslim or anything like that but there are ways to go about helping somebody and not like just blatantly saying you're doing something wrong so it's been a while since kindergarten and this whole um, eating disorder developed. What would you say to yourself if you could go back and talk to five-year-old Adeline? I don't know. I wish I could have just known that I could have been exactly who I was and preserved that and that things would have still turned out okay. I think that's the biggest thing for me. I wish I... I wish I would have known that I could have still held on to my culture and the, the things that made me 
who I was and made my family who they are without, you know, sacrificing other things in the process. Like I really could have preserved that and things would have been just as fine as they are now. And I wish, I wish I would have had a better understanding of that. Cause when you're that young, it can feel like the end of the world. Um, especially when kids are bullying you. Yeah, exactly. Especially when there's pressure from like kids your own age or you're being bullied. I think it can feel like the end all be all of, I have to conform to this or there's going to be disaster. And that's just not the case. It's scary when you have no resources and when you feel like even you can't open up to your own parents and then you don't have friends because the friends that you're trying to gain are the ones that are making you lose your own identity. It's, it's very, it's, it's a struggle to be, um, a child from a foreign country or even just an other in this country. You know what I mean? When it comes to the eating disorder, I think off mic, you said you never really recover from this. You kind of, some mental health issues, you really don't. It's how you manage it. And how do you feel like you're doing better now? How do you feel like you're managing it better now? Um, I think I'm a lot more honest with myself when I can feel myself starting to slip or struggle. And I'm honest with those people around me that I know care and love me so that not only am I in a position to help myself, but they're in a position to also kind of lift me up and help me too. I think for me, having like safe foods has been a really big thing. Like having like go to like ingredients and meals that regardless of my mindset are always like considered like safe like nutritional foods, that's been a really big thing in terms of like making sure that I continue to just eat and take care of myself and like nourish my body and just giving myself like grace and patience and not putting myself down for things like not being able to fast and understanding that that does not make me a bad Muslim. And, you know, I can still claim my faith and my culture without subjecting myself to something that has in the past been bad for me. So that that's beautiful. Honestly, that's really beautifully said. And it's just great to get that insight from you and just to still feel like now you've just changed. And now you are like, becoming closer to your faith and your culture and your community and whatnot. Absolutely. And so earlier this week, we asked our listeners to send in questions for you, Adeline. And hipster wants to know, your eating disorder stemmed from a pre-social media time. Do you think it would have impacted your adolescent mind growing up then with social media? And does it still have a effect on you now in your 20s? That's a really good question. I cannot even imagine what young girls and just young people in general feel today growing up with social media because it affects me and I'm a, an adult woman. And um, that that just like breaks my heart. But yeah, it definitely impacts me. I think for me, the biggest thing is understanding that 95% of what you see online, if not more, is not real. Like everything is facetuned or photoshopped or edited or filtered. And people are capturing the parts of their lives that they want you to see. I think that's been the biggest thing I've had to remind myself of because it does kind of get me down sometimes, especially if I'm like spending, you know, one too many hours scrolling through Instagram, it can start to like affect the way I feel about myself and my own life and my own accomplishments, because there's always someone out there who looks better than you, who's doing something cooler than you, who's with people you want to be with. And it's like an exhausting game to like compete with that and to try to catch up to that. So I think for me, I always just have to remind myself that the thing that I am seeing is like the best part of their life that they want me to see. And just because I can't see the other things doesn't mean they're not happening. 
because I have those too. Like I have to remind myself that there are people scrolling on Instagram or Twitter or wherever and looking at my life and looking at me and probably feeling the exact same way. And I would tell them that it's absolutely not what they think that it is. So yeah, I think just like having that transparency of understanding that it's a curated version of the best parts of people's lives and that it's not necessarily a reality and it's not necessarily something to like try to attain or compete with. And that it's also okay to take breaks. Like it's also okay to unplug, to deactivate. It'll be there when you get back. It's not going anywhere. So it's totally okay to step away from something to kind of like reset within yourself and like remind yourself of what makes you special, what's important to you and to like focus on things outside of what is happening inside of your phone. I think it's easy to remind yourself of the fact that social media is fake 90 whatever percent of the time but as a kid I can't imagine like that's not something you're thinking of she said it as an yeah, adult like, I felt that the way like I was of. I was down the other day and my sisters had to tell me like stop comparing your body to the girls on Instagram especially because summer's like right now it's like, it's happening everybody's in their bikini with their you six know pack and six pack stomach and, yeah. and whatnot but it's so interesting about like even social media because yesterday we had a girls night and whatnot and it's like i was portraying the perfect parts of our night you know and then yeah, you know, my sister's course. yeah and my sister's instagram oh she had the behind the scenes of everything that was going wrong about our girls <laughs> night and it was funny it was hilarious but it's like you have two people that were at there the at the same time table. same dinner table i was showing the cute parts and she was showing the, everything that was going wrong at our girls night and it was just so funny it was so interesting and i was like nobody would have known that this was happening or that was happening yeah. or this or that or the you know so it is i love how adeline put it though mm-hmm. like this is there's people show the best 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 parts of and their that's life it. that's it so yeah. and then we also have another question from our unsweeteners takeover and it's from at scrubs and heels 94 she said how can one have a healthy relationship with food That's also a really good question. That's a question I'm still trying to find the answer to. Um, I think for me, it's been first unlearning a lot of really bad and negative behaviors. So it's been unlearning this idea that overworking out and also just like under eating and like restriction within food are like the ways towards like a clean, healthy lifestyle. I think those things are like super misguiding and kind of detrimental. So I think I've had to learn that. And then in that kind of learning more about nutrition and what my body needs. And so for me now around like both food and exercise, like I think we were talking earlier about, you know, the fact that there is a lot out there on social media, um, even like wellness and like health accounts and fitness accounts can at times be triggering. So for me, I like try to really find the people and the places online that, you know, if they're talking about fitness or talking about like making your body stronger, not about the way that it looks and about food, like talking about the foods that are nourishing and not about the ones that are going to cut, like cut calories or like lower weight. So I think it's been a lot of just like unlearning and relearning, like how to talk about food and exercise and just like bodies in general and understanding like what is actually nourishing. So for me now, I think like I try to eat with like the things that will make my body and my mind feel good versus the things that are going to have an impact on like my actual body weight. So I don't know. I think it's like a very long process to like to doing that, to bettering your relationship to food. I think there are people that literally dedicate their careers and their lives to figuring that out. So it's not like a cut and dry answer, but I think that 
probably in that for every single person, there's at least a little bit of unlearning that has to happen first around like what you perceive to be a healthy, like quote unquote fit body. And then understanding that like your body is a vessel, it is servicing you. And in that you have to give it the things that it needs to. That's a great point. I never, when you think of food, you think of what's going to make me lose weight. You don't think of what's going to be good for me, oh, yeah. for my body and, and my those, mind. those are that two different so, things, like you said. Yeah, that is so interesting. We really want to thank you, Adeline, for thank coming on here, for being so open about something that's really, honestly, this is probably one of the topics that we really do not like hear about in our, in our community, community. we don't we talk about like other things and divorce and all that good stuff but it's like when it comes to like eating disorders something like this it's definitely like it's we, tucked away it is that's what i was trying yeah, to get it's, it's tucked very away. tucked away so we want our listeners to be able to find you on social media and maybe connect with you and maybe open up to you you don't know who's listening that's dealing with the same things as Adeline and you put everything in such a great perspective that it even opened our eyes mm-hmm. honestly as much research that we've done before this episode it's like wow this is so amazing what you were saying so where can our listeners find you yeah, so they can find me on Instagram and Twitter, and it's Adeline Anya on both, which is A-D-E-L-I-N-E-A-N-I-A. And she also has a great article about um, her struggle or her experience with eating disorder on Team Vogue. And we'll link that in we're the gonna link, description. Yeah, so we're going to link everything so you guys can definitely find her. Um, also, you have a great article, too, about just like coming to America and trying to fit in. And I really like that. And I mm-hmm. resonated with that so much. Even though I was born here, I felt the same way that Adeline felt. So once again, Adeline, thank you so much, girl. You're amazing. Thank and you, guys. One strong woman. We love you. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome back to our unfiltered afterthoughts. Zena, you want to take it away? Yeah, something I truly, truly like resonated with was her experience on representation and how someone called her out on her experience not fully representing the entire Muslim community. And I think that's a a responsibility that we never asked for, to have that weight on us, that we are supposed to be able to represent everyone um, and everyone's experience. And we've talked about this so many times. We talk about it almost in every episode. And and it's hard to like share our experiences and share our stories and the stories that we want people to hear without being ridiculed and facing that criticism of, yeah, this might represent you, but it's not doing the Muslim community any good because it's only representing your experience. And um, I don't know. Do you think she would have probably came out sooner if she felt more support from our community? I think so. I think so, absolutely. I think if we created a more comforting and inviting um, space for people who are going through any type of mental um, health illness, issue, yeah, I think everyone would be more inclined to share their stories. And that's why, like, we, like, I would love for our podcast to be out of business. I would love for our stories, everybody to be able to share whatever they have to say freely and openly without any negative criticism. You guys need to understand when somebody opens up about something as severe as eating disorders. It's not easy for them. They're not, it's not easy. They're asking for your support. Like, literally, they're, 
in an indirect way asking you to support them and imagine doing all of that getting that courage gaining that courage to speak up about what you're going through but for your community to like attack you alhamdulillah for her she didn't get that yeah. she only got it from one person think, yeah and then I, one person came back in full circle and understood like i understand what you yeah. were saying and i think the reason she didn't is because so many people are going through this and they look for that beacon of light of like Yes, someone is sharing their story. Someone is sharing their experience. I'm not alone in this. And that's so important. And the eating disorders, I I mean, this isn't a topic I would have ever thought of until we came across it in, yeah. like, in a Teen Vogue article. And I was like, whoa, this, this exists in our community. But it makes you think like how many people are going through this and aren't calling it an eating disorder. Oh, How yeah. many girls do you know are on super tight calorie intake diets and are constantly in the gym exercise and i'm not saying if you're on a diet you're you have an eating disorder no. no but there are patterns and i know every eating disorder is different but there are commonalities yes that's a great point and so it, it's just scary because you never know who is going through this and you might know somebody and deal with them on the daily and you don't know what they're going through behind closed doors and what their relationship with food really is i mean i had a rele- revelation while she was speaking like that one time in my life where I lost the 20 pounds, I mm-hmm. thought it was more like stress and it was like I was a, very unhappy in my life. But also that unhappiness came from feeling that I should have looked a certain way for a certain someone. Yeah. And that's when, yeah, I was literally, I, if to me, like, like she said, I felt like I was doing something good for my body. I was in the gym all the time. And you get this high, you get this high from being in the gym thinking you're doing something great for your body and then you see results but you guys, not all results are good results. Right. And I think we also have to realize that just because someone is super skinny doesn't mean they have an eating disorder. And just because someone may be on the heavier side doesn't mean they're not going through things as well. Like I said, no more complimenting people's bodies. Uh, uh, everything is just a comment. Yeah. I think you should just leave everybody alone. If they ask you and they say, hey, do I look good? Okay, then. They're inviting you to comment on their bodies. Right. but. Other than that, I don't think you should just invite yourself to speak about somebody. Talking about body and what you eat and your relationship with food is a very personal thing, I think. It is. It's too personal. Because I wouldn't be like, hey, Donia, what do you eat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? And how many calories? Like, it's, yeah. it's no one's business. It's a personal thing. But even if I'm in the public, don't talk about how I look. Like, you're putting me in an awkward position when you yeah. say, like, oh, you like you look a little different. Or you're on the heavier side or in the skinnier side. Oh, yeah. We can go on and on about this, to be honest. Um, I truly hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Um, again, I feel like when it comes to our episodes, you may not have an eating disorder, but you may know somebody that has it. Or... You might be like me, who I never thought I had an eating disorder, and I still don't want to maybe claim it yet, but I, I'm thinking about, like, yeah, I went through something similar to that where I changed my eating habits right. and whatnot. So I hope that all of our episodes resonate with you in a certain way. And if not, please, like, or if they do, please share them amongst your family and friends. I think this is our way to open up the lines of communication amongst our community to have us talk about these things in our community these stigmas and things that people are going through it's not like things that are non-existent yeah they exist they exist as always please make sure you're subscribed leave us a comment or um a five-star review if you would like yeah and like we always say we love the feedback in our dms so whatever your thoughts are on this let us know and inshallah we'll have more episodes coming your way thank you again once more for listening to us and for being so loyal and for always being there for us and we'll see you next week 